Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Msibudi Makura. Top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour. Vote counting underway in controversial Burundi elections. South Sudan mediation team meets in Addis Ababa and Kenyan president dismisses gay rights issue ahead of President Obama's visit. In economics, Lesotho launches money transfer service in Lesotho and in sports news, Skull Burger to captain South African Springboks against New Zealand. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. Vote counting is underway in Burundi a day after a presidential election marred by violence and international condemnation. Results from the polls are expected by the end of the week. The Electoral Commission says around 74% of the country's 3.8 million registered voters cast their ballot. The United States says the election lacks credibility and has violated a landmark peace agreement which was signed 15 years ago. The poll was preceded by months of protests over incumbent President Pierre Nkurunziza's decision to run for a third term. The Central African Republic's highest court has overturned a decision by the transitional parliament that would have barred thousands of refugees in neighboring countries from voting. The court says the decision to exclude refugees violates the 2013 constitution, which gives every adult citizen the right to vote. Interim President Catherine Samba Panza, who is due to step down at the elections scheduled for the 18th of October, had opposed the decision by the Transitional Assembly and requested the court's opinion. SADC leaders believe the staging of the African Union joint military exercise in South Africa later in the year is a critical step towards making the planned African standby force a reality. The establishment of the Continental Force has been postponed repeatedly due to the regional bloc's failure to set up their respective brigades. SADC defense ministers, army and police chiefs have concluded their two-day meeting in South Africa's capital, Pretoria. South Africa's International Relations Minister we are pleased to be part of the strengthening of the continent's military response mechanism. This further illustrates our region's commitment towards self-reliance and interventions led by our own African nations. Our priority remains to serve and protect our citizenry and to prevent 
instability and conflict so that we don't always react but we are there on the ground before trouble starts. Hundreds of Nigerians are fleeing violent attacks in the West African country's Bono state. The United Nations Refugee Agency says around 700 refugees arrive every week at the Minawo camp in Cameroon. UNHCR's Lee Dobbs says the refugees are being driven further away from the border because of continued insecurity. The volatility of the border was borne out earlier this month uh, when there was a series of attacks and clashes, including a suicide bombing on July the 12th. Uh, the first such attack in Cameroon. It took place in the northern town of Fotukol. And finally, opposition parties in South Africa accusing Police Minister Natin Tleko of political bias and lacking security expertise and compiling his report in upgrades at the President's private residence in Nkandla. Ntleko came under fire from opposition parties when he appeared before Parliament's Nkandla Ad Hoc Committee. Ntleko's report found that the Pool Chicken Run Amphitheatre and Kettle Kral at Nkandla were all security upgrades that President Jacob Zuma did not have to pay for. All opposition parties in South Africa strongly criticized Nkleko. There's no security expert background in your CV whatsoever. So I'd like to understand on what basis you feel that you are a security expert. I find it unlikely that you could have come with any other conclusion, taking into consideration that your appointment depends on the same person that you have to look into. I can recall reading somewhere, he who pays the piper the tune. We are trying to defend the indefensible. I, I would have hoped this report at the end should have just recommended that our president must just apologize. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African time. Thank you, Anne. It's 8.06 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The EGAD Plus, a new mediation team for the South Sudan peace talks, has had its first contact meeting yesterday. EGAD Plus now consists of five more countries, apart from the eight countries under the original mediation of the Intergovernmental Authority for Development. It is envisaged that this bigger team will help South Sudan reach a peace Compromise. Koleta Wanjohi reports. The IGAD Plus mediation is a new mechanism of the South Sudan mediation that was adopted after March 6, 2015, when the Intergovernmental Authority for Development on its own failed to make the South Sudan warring parties sign a much anticipated comprehensive peace agreement. The IGAD Plus now includes an ad hoc committee commissioned by the African Union of five other African countries, namely Nigeria, Chad, Algeria, Rwanda and South Africa. The committee was officially approved by the African Union Summit held in June 2015 in Johannesburg, South Africa. It is speculated that the inclusion of these other countries is primarily aimed at neutralizing the individual interests of the IGAD member states that has greatly contributed to little progress being made by IGAD in the South Sudan peace talks. This new South Sudan mediation team has met for the first time in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa, but their mandate is yet to be clarified. Chief Envoy of the South Sudan Peace Talks, Seyum Mesfin, explains the importance of adopting this new concerted effort. We have to act collectively, prevail upon them, to convince them that what they are doing (coughs) 
is definitely a destruction, a destruction of lives and the nation. The format is not that important, but whatever role we play, we need to reinforce this peace process. The IGAD Plus South Sudan mediation team has begun its meetings by having a closed-door consultation of a draft compromise document which the IGAD began working on after the South Sudan peace talks hit a deadline in March 2015. This document reportedly contains proposals about how the South Sudan warring parties should be coerced to move towards a transition of government now that they have unwillingly failed to do so on their own. Chief Envoy of South Sudan Peace Talks, Sayum Mesfin, says that compromise document has never been made public. As the chair, I had the privilege to be a custodian of the document. <laughs> we discussed, we developed it, but uh, we have never carried it uh, in our briefcases, all of us. Consultations of this IGAD plus mediation is expected to design new mechanism of encouraging the South Sudan warring parties to not only return to the table for peace talks, but to do so genuinely with an aim of stopping the war that has raged on since December 2013. Representatives from the government of South Sudan and rebel faction led by rebel leader Riek Mashar are expected in Addis Ababa on 24th July to receive this new compromise document from the IGAD plus mediation to go and study it. Colette Njoye for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital. A Democratic Republic of Congo President Joseph Kabila has consulted with delegates from various communities ahead of the national dialogue. As Jean-Noël Bamweze reports from Kinshasa, most of the people President Kabila met expressed their support for the dialogue to be held in order to solve some problems and to prepare for the elections. Among the delegates President Kabila has met with were religious and traditional leaders, civil society members, diplomats representing their countries here, and political leaders from both the majority and the opposition. Most of them have supported President Joseph Kabila's initiative to bring Congolese together for talks in order to try and identify problems that might drive the country towards conflict during the electoral process. At this time, people of the Democratic Republic of Congo are waiting for Mr. President to officially announce the end of his consultations and bring more details so that Congolese can have a clear idea of the upcoming dialogue. Most of analysts describe the dialogue to be held here as an opportunity for politicians and other people to try and fix ways for good elections. And according to this analyst from Africa Connection, there is too much to expect from such talks. Alan Waikani. We still have problem in our political classes and uh, the only way to solve may be the dialogue. It was a very good idea to think that when we have problem they have to call for that and the president did exactly what others have been asking for years. The only way for a nation to resolve the problem passed through the dialogue because time for fighting, going for war, it's over. I do expect some things from the dialogue and this dialogue should take place and as a Congolese analyst I think that yes of course we have different problems uh, especially we are approaching the election period and different steps need to be first of all set up by different political members and uh, different political classes and this should pass only by dialogue. 
Some other opposition leaders do not want to hear about such a dialogue and for them the only important event they are waiting for is elections and especially the presidential and parliamentary ones. Those who have rejected the talks include the Union for the Congolese Notion UNC, the Movement for the Liberation of Congo MLC and the Change Forces FAC. They look at the dialogue as a strategy for Kabila to remain on power after the end of his last term, but this analyst believes there is no true link. Once more, Alan Waikani explains. I don't see the opportunity for Kabila to organize a dialogue so that he can remain. Kabila has experience in dialogue issues because he has called Congolese for different steps of dialogues. And also the constitution is very clear. Kabila doesn't need the dialogue to know exactly what should be the next step for him. I think even a president, by knowing that you are leaving the power, a very good president is the one who can set up a very good condition for him to live and to leave the country in a very good condition. The politician or the opposition people in Congo, the only thing that they have in their mind is election. They think that everything will stop by election. They are just ignorating that after the election, we may have also another problem. We have different steps by going with the election. We need money. We need to talk who will do what, how, when. And all this may only find a solution through the dialogue. So I don't see any link between Kabila to stay in power and the, the dialogue. The dialogue is another step that is needed before the election. And Kabila did not say, I call for the dialogue so that we can talk about my future. This is just what people are just thinking. But the good things for a good politician should be to go and to listen and react after. This is the way a real politician should think. The expected dialogue was previously called by the opposition indeed, and it's only when President Joseph Kabila decided to consult in order to organize it that the opposition decided to boycott. Jean-Noël Bamwezi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.14 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The Southern African Development Community Ministers responsible for foreign affairs, defense, public and state security will soon hold an extraordinary meeting to review the political, security and stability challenges in the region with a view to respond to these emerging security challenges. This was announced by South Africa's International Relations Minister, Maite Nkwana Mashabane, at the conclusion of the 17th meeting of the SADC Ministerial Committee of the Organ on Politics, Defence and Security Cooperation in Pretoria. Ntlantla Matlang reports. Southern African Development Community Ministers responsible for foreign affairs, defense, public and state security met to discuss the political and security situation in the region, administrative arrangements for the SADC Electoral Advisory Council, the SADC Observer Mission in Lesotho and the SADC Mediation Structures amongst others. Outgoing chairperson and South Africa's International Relations Minister Nkwana Maide Mashabane says the debates were robust. Over the past two days, we have had a robust debate on matters close to our respective nations and how they affect our region. Politics, defense and security matters 
shape the development trajectory of our region. It is therefore imperative that we meet regularly but on scheduled meetings annually to take stock of the progress we are making and if needs be readjust our strategies and goals to address the security challenges of our times. She says they also spoke at length about the changing security landscape in the region. We are encouraged by the progress made in the political and security situation, particularly in the Democratic Republic of Congo, the eastern side, the Kingdom of Lesotho, and the Republic of Madagascar. However, we remain aware that peace building is an ongoing process and we should therefore continue to be engaged in assisting our fellow brothers and sisters in finding sustainable and lasting solutions to their challenges. Yesterday, we spoke at length about changing security landscape in our region. We're also aware of the new threats to instability posed by the unequal development, risks posed by natural disasters, transborder uh, public security challenges related to vulnerable groups, as well as migratory challenges. SADC Executive Secretary Dr. Stegomena Lawrence Tex says their meeting was a resounding success. Allow me to immensely thank the Honorable Ministers, members of the MCO, for your dedication and hard work during the year, which enabled our organization to achieve tremendous achievement. Allow me to once again pay tribute to the outgoing chairperson of the MCO, Honorable Koane Mashabane, for having steered our region to a new level since August last year. The meeting also congratulated the six countries in the region where elections were held, acknowledging that it is encouraged by the increasing observation of democratic practice. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Tlantlamatlangu in Johannesburg. It's 8.18 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Vote counting is underway in Burundi's controversial presidential election, which incumbent President Pian Kuruziza is widely expected to win. About 3.8 million Burundians were eligible to vote in the polls, which some opposition and civil society groups boycotted, claiming they will not be free and fair. For an update from Burundi, our reporter Bernard Bankukira joins us on the line from the capital, Bujumbura. Good morning, Bernard, and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Yes, good morning, thank you. Now, Bernard, election day has come and gone. What does Bujumbura look like this morning? How is Burundi after the vote yesterday? Okay, yes, uh, Bujumbura now, after the yesterday's uh, polling, which uh, lasted for the whole day, now Bujumbura is calm. Everybody now is uh, heading to their office, to their usual activities. Yesterday, of course, it was like a, a, a day off, so people did not go to their respective work due to the voting exercise. So now the road 
Mathura are full of people heading to offices. Now, Bernard, there were delays yesterday with some polling stations not opening on time, um, some voting materials not having arrived in time. How did the voting process go across the country? Yes, uh, of course, because there was a certain delay uh, for some polling stations to, 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 to open, uh, this also delayed the closing time. The closing time was expected to be at 4 o'clock, but some went even over 5 or 6 o'clock. But um, uh, the counting has been progressing across the country, even in Budumbura, where this delay was uh, uh, visible. But uh, in the countryside, the country is pursuing normally, and most of them, I can say that uh, uh, by 11 p.m. yesterday, some of the uh, constituencies had already counted their votes. And with that, uh, have they released any um, uh, votes, uh, any uh, results as yet, or are they still waiting for the whole country to, to, to be on par with the counting? Yes, uh, as usual, we have to wait uh, for the, the final, the official results announced by the Independent National Electoral Commission. But every constituency, when uh, the counting is over, it announces uh, the, 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 the partial, let me say, the partial results. But uh, we have to understand that uh, uh, the Independent Electoral National Commission is the one entitled to announce the final results. Now, Bernard, what is the voter turnout like uh, in these elections, um, just considering the fact that there were some issues, uh, protests uh, preceding uh, this election yesterday? What is the voter turnout, and was it in big numbers as uh, hoped for by the Electoral Commission? Uh, it, you know, it cannot be the, the expected turnout, because, as you know, uh, around... Uh, million and, and 8,000 uh, were expected to go to vote, but, um, uh, you know, the country has been undergoing a, severe, a massive protest, especially the capital Bujumbura and in some uh, provinces outside the capital. So in these areas, the turnout has been considerably low, but uh, we expect, maybe, we expect a change in the turnout, especially in Bujumbura rural, favoring to the opposition Agatham Dwasa. Uh, because in the, during the parliamentary elections, um, the, voters did not, the voters in Bujumbura did not go to vote. But for this time, I think uh, some of them expressed a fear of being uh, harassed in the coming days and uh, asked, asked their leaders whether they should go to vote. And uh, this has been accepted. What I can tell them that, please, if you think that your security is... Uh, in danger, go to vote uh, to save your life. So this is why maybe in some parts of Bujumbura, Rural, in some provinces, uh, the turnout might change or might increase. But in Bujumbura, in the capital Bujumbura, the turnout, uh, we, we hope that the turnout will remain low. 
Now, Bernard, you've just touched on the on the, on the issue of security and uh, threats being made to um, voters and, and, and things like that. Now, voters were seen trying to scrub off the indelible ink from their fingers after um, casting their ballot. Um, was this to avoid reprisals from um, the opposition and people calling for a boycott of the of, of the election? Um, you know, what would the the security situation be like? presently as we speak? Yes, the security situation now in Mozambique is quiet. That means that it's quiet because even last night, if people, if we spent the whole night on the gunshots before, the night before yesterday, but this night was quiet and until now is everything is quiet. Maybe this ink, some people said, I talked to one woman, uh, who told me that during the parliamentary elections he went to a protesting neighborhood with his finger uh, having the ink. Now, she told me that she was harassed by those protesters who did not go to vote. They asked me, why did you go to vote? Do you know, don't you know that you can cut off your finger? So this woman told me that, please, if possible, I, 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 shouldn't, I shouldn't take this ink, but I, I have to be obliged. So these were most of them, most of the voters, after voting, they're casting the vote, they rushed to a tap, water tap, just to clean up, to try to clean up so as to remove the ink. Uh, maybe by fear of being persecuted by those voter, by those who, the protesters who did not want to go to vote. Now, Bernard, it would be interesting to, to find out, did the ink get removed when they did that, after they did that, because we saw some clips on television where some were even trying to use mud to wash their hands or to remove the ink from the finger. And from from experience in voting in South Africa, we know that that ink doesn't really move. It takes some time to, to move after a couple of washes. Did this work for them? Now, this is an exercise that I did myself to check whether the ink can be removed. It cannot be completely removed. Yes, partly you can see that uh, a big part has been removed, but if you check it well, you see that the ink still remains there. Um, but the problem is that uh, if, for example, one wanted to vote for the second time, and this is was that was doubted by the opposition, they said that he can remove the ink and go back to, to, to vote for the second time. Uh, for, for this time, I think... Without uh, close attention, I can go to vote for the second time now because it, it, it looks like it is um, removed, but it is not completely removed. But a large part of it is moved. Now, Bernard, let's speak on uh, incumbent President Pierre Nkuruziza, who voted in his home village of Buye. We saw him on television um, riding to the polling station on his uh, bicycle, which is very interesting to see. What did he say after casting his his ballot yesterday? I think, uh, on my opinion, this is a propaganda. It's just a propaganda to say that he's close to people. He's the person of the people, um, walking with people on a bicycle, not in a car, uh, queuing with people on the voting queue. So, uh, on my opinion, I consider it as a, uh, as a propaganda. This also was the same thing during the parliamentary elections. So, he went to vote riding on a bicycle, and 
when arrived, queuing with people, ordinary people, the kind of propaganda to show people that he is uh, a, a humble person. Bernard, we've had reports of uh, irregularities at different polling stations. Was this the case? And uh, if so, what exactly happened? Uh, maybe irregularities. Uh, there were not so many of these irregularities, except maybe at some polling stations, um, some ballots, ballots which were allocated to, to one polling center were exchanged with other ballots. So these are some of the few irregularities that were observed uh, across the country. But they were the, the, the chairman of the Independent National Electoral Commission told us that uh, this is a minor problem that can be solved. Another problem is that uh, on the finger which was to be um, inked, uh, maybe some of these people, what about, for example, the person whose finger was cut off? And he said, oh, no, no, it's, difficult. it's, it's easy to negotiate uh, a finger of another hand. I think minor, minor irregularities were reported, not serious ones which can affect the elections in general. Now, Bernard, the U.S. has come out and said the elections lacked credibility. Would you say that's also the general sentiment in the country? And uh, when can we expect final results? Now, the president, the chairman of the Independent Electoral National Commission told us that uh, the final results would be out within eight hours since yesterday. So we expect that uh, tomorrow uh, we'll have everything uh, from the elections. Uh, this is what he says, yeah. Bernard, and the general feeling uh, with regards to sentiment in the country, with regards to the credibility of the elections, do people feel that these elections are free and credible? whether people think this election is free and credible. But let me mention something. is that across the country, the opposition members claimed that they were intimidated, whether that if they did not go to vote, they would miss some of the public services like health, education, and administrative uh, services. Uh, so for these people, let me say, they were forced to go. And this is, this is true because... Um, it has been reported by the opposition leader, Agaton Dwasa, that some members uh, met him, telling him about this problem, and this is why he told them to go to vote. So, in these conditions, we, we can say that the supporters of the incumbent president, Ziza, agree that the election is free and fair. But for the opposition, I think there is still this... Uh, case of intimidation is that being exercised against them, so they cannot feel that the election is free. And, free. and uh, for a wide uh, number of people in, across the country, although they cannot say it openly, it's the same case, that uh, people might not be happy with the outcomes of the election, as they might not be happy with the candidacy of the incumbent president, Bernard, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, most welcome. That was our reporter in Burundi, Bernard Bankukira, joining us on the line from the capital, Bujumbura. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa.
A very good morning to you. Counting of votes continues in Burundi a day after voters trickled into polling stations to elect a president. The Central African Republic's highest court overturns a decision by the transitional parliament that would have barred thousands of refugees in neighboring countries from voting. And select leaders believe the staging of the AU joint military exercise in South Africa later in the year is a critical step towards making the planned African standby force a reality. Those are the stories making headlines. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorla. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Anne. The Botswana National Front, BNF, has pledged solidarity with banned political organizations in Swaziland. The BNF says it has always been of a view that the banning of political parties is tantamount to total suppression of freedom of association, which is respected in many states. Political parties have been banned in Swaziland since 1973, and many of them operate illegally in that country. Itumilang Khajane reports. Swaziland is the only absolute monarchy in the southern African region. It is also the only Sade country in which political parties are banned. It also has political prisoners in its jails. However, this does not stop these parties from seeking international solidarity to put pressure on the government of Kim Muswati III to change the status quo. Listen to the national chairperson of the Communist Party of Swaziland, Dumisani Fakuze. We seek solidarity with all progressive forces in Africa and the, the world, especially to highlight the plight of the Swazi people there in Swaziland because the absolute monarch is continuing to suppress our people. Recently they've released uh, the leaders of Pudemo and Swayoko, not willingly, but it, they trust the pressure from the international community. So we continue to ask a request for other progressive forces to continue to put more pressure to the regime so that it can allow political parties to operate in Swaziland. The Communist Party is not the only party banned in Swaziland. Other parties include People's United Democratic Movement, the Swaziland Youth Congress, the Swaziland Solidarity Network, and the CVC Ngaba National Movement. This, according to the BNF, has to be changed. BNF president, who is also the leader of the coalition of opposition parties in Botswana, Dumaboko, explains. We are uncompromising on these commitments. We stand with the people of Swaziland in their quest for democracy, in their quest for justice and human rights. We stand with them solidly and we pledge our support to them. We call on the Swazi government to open the democratic space and enable political parties to contend in different viewpoints to participate in the political marketplace of ideas. Attempts to get a comment from the Swaziland government did not bear fruit. Constitutional law expert Professor Shadra Guto says the banned organizations have an option of taking the legal route to challenge their banning through the African Union Commission on Human Rights. If you really did have a proper, independent, constitutional court in Swaziland, they would have had to deal with that. But in the absence of that, they could have gone to the SADC tribunal, which has been suspended by SADC countries. The only way forward is for them to be able to make application if they want this to be challenged from a legal point of view to the African Commission on Human and People's Rights and then to the African Court of Human Rights. 
Guto has also cautioned that the banning of political organizations and the political sphere in Swaziland have to be addressed before the current government gets overthrown through a revolution. I'm Itumelian Kajani in Botswana. Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta has dismissed the issue of gay rights in Kenya as one of the agendas in his bilateral discussion with U.S. President Barack Obama during his three-day visit to Kenya. A number of Kenyans have threatened to lead a march of naked men and women to protest against Obama's support for gay rights in the country. But according to President Kenyatta, issues of economic development and security are his priorities during Obama's visit. Reports from Nairobi. Addressing the media at State House Nairobi on President Obama's visit to Kenya, President Uru Kenyatta dismissed suggestions that the issue of gay rights in Kenya will be one of the issues in the agenda of their discussion with the U.S. leader Barack Obama. He said the issue of gay rights was a known issue in Kenya. And he also confirmed that his deputy William Ruto, who is still on trial at the International Criminal Court at The Hague for Crimes Against Humanity, will also be meeting President Barack Obama during his Kenyan visit. To me, those are basically uh, non-issues. President of the United States is coming to visit Kenya on two important duties. One is the GES, the second is our bilateral visit. And without a doubt, he is coming to meet the government that is in place, that includes all of us. So I think the question you're asking uh, is pretty uh, irrelevant because last I recall, the deputy president was part of this government. So we shall all be meeting and proceeding with what we need to do. Business is between the United States and Kenya and the strengthening of our already very strong relationship and partnership between our two countries. The other issue is definitely the issue of uh, the fight against terror will be central. We have been working in very close collaboration with American agencies in our fight against terror and I am certain that that is an agenda that we shall further strengthen during this particular meeting, strengthen our partnership, strengthen our cooperation because it is our common objective to ensure that Not only Kenya, but the whole world is free from those who would wish to impose negative views on the rest of society. We strongly believe in the values, freedom of opinion, freedom of worship. And I think as societies, we will not allow a few to remove those fundamental values that we all believe in. And we will do everything that we can to ensure that we protect them. A group of Kenyans have threatened to march in the streets of Nairobi to protest against Obama's support of gay rights in his country. Homosexuality remains outlawed in Kenya as in other African countries. However, Obama's visit to Kenya was itself long delayed by Kenyatta's indictment by the International Criminal Court at The Hague. But in his address to the nation, President Uru Kenyatta said the Obama visit to Kenya was a Kenyan event and all Kenyans should heartily welcome the U.S. leader. This is our event. All of us, as Kenyans, we have the opportunity to learn from the experience and expertise of some of the world's top business development experts and leaders and to share with them our own achievements and success stories. As entrepreneurs, we will have the chance to meet them in sessions, to pitch our ideas and to grow the scale and impact of our enterprises. Investors will find opportunities for decent returns in some of the world's most cutting-edge, innovative 
and responsive solutions to be shared at this summit. To welcome our guests and friends with the hospitality that they deserve, we have had to plan most carefully. I'm glad to say that my government and our partners have devoted great care to these arrangements and that our work has been rewarded with commitments from over 1,400 participants as well as a large delegation from the United States that will be accompanying President Obama. It is an inspiration to note that out of the 1,400 delegates that will be participating, a fifth of them will be Kenyans and half will be African. The fight against terror will be central in Kenyatta's discussion with President Obama. For the last few years, Kenya has been hit by a string of attacks by the Somalia-led Al-Shabaab insurgents. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. South African Police Minister Natin Klego has again come under fire from opposition parties for his report which exonerated President Jacob Zuma on the security upgrades at his Ngandla home. Nklego has been accused of patronage and lacking security expertise in compiling the probe. He appeared before the Parliamentary Ad Hoc Committee on Ngandla, sitting at the Natal Province Legislature in Pietermaritzburg. He defended his report that lists the kettle crawl, culvert, chicken run, swimming pool and amphitheatre as part of security features. Zanele Butelis reports. You know, in an area within which the family crown exists, the motion detector beams were a consideration to be planted in there, and therefore you needed no interference from livestock to trigger false alarms, amongst other things. From the reports being likened to fictional spy thriller James Bond, to being accused of being a security expert poser, the heat was on Police Minister Natin Klego when he appeared before the Nkanja Ad Hoc Committee and members of opposition parties who had already formed opinions about Klego's report pulled no punches. The Police Minister's expertise in compiling the security report was also called into question. The DA's John Stian Hazen says Parliament never mandated the Police Minister to do any reports but asked for relevant security experts to make determinations. Now, with respect, Minister, I've looked through your CV on, on Wikipedia. You have a background in public service administration and correctional services and your tenure as an M- a member of parliament. There's no security expert background in your CV whatsoever. So I'd like to understand on what basis you, have, you feel that you are a security expert that has allowed you to claim that mandate. Achangs Andres Kloama went further dismissing Klego's reports as nothing but a work of fiction and calling on the president to apologize for the expenditure. We are trying to defend the indefensible. I I would have hoped this report at the end should have just recommended that our president must just apologize. You see, uh, Honorable Minister, you you could have been good in writing fictions, because to (laughs) me, uh, this report is like the James Bond. But it did not end there. The Freedom Front Plus's Kone Mulder and IFP's Naren Singh voiced their distrust of his reports. I find it unlikely that you could have come with any other conclusion, taking into consideration that your appointment depends on the same person that you have to look into. I can recall reading somewhere, he who pays the piper calls the tune. Gregor fought back defending his reports, but he took exception to being accused of political patronage. I do not know where this thing comes from. I think it's very childish, completely unethical and unprofessional, actually, in my view, that because you happen to have been appointed somewhere, you, you are naturally a suspect that you would not 
in any case produce a, any report or any product that that would be something what a, a contrary to what you have done. The ANC's Matshole Matsecha defended the minister, saying he acted on a resolution of the National Assembly. He says some South Africans are debating the cattle crawl because they do not understand African religion. A cattle crawl in the African setting is a link between the family or the nation on earth and in heaven. So that is a religious matter that is protected by the constitution of this country. So uh, now you may think we are talking about a cattle crawl. You are attacking a cattle crawl. But you are actually attacking the constitutional right of the owner. Meanwhile, Tlego could not answer questions on how much is needed to complete the security upgrades that he says are still required at President Jacob Zuma's home. He says security experts will have to go back there to do an evaluation and also to assess how much security has been compromised before any costing can be done. Members of the committee will assess for themselves the upgrades at President Zuma's home when they conduct an in-loco inspection on Wednesday. Zanele Butelezi, Peter Maritzburg. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, revetua. Africa, Africa, wema. Sun rises. What's in the happen Africa? Africa, Dumelang, San Bonani. Africa, Mulishani, Mulibanji. Africa, Enyomi, Kilon Shele. Africa, Ndinkim, Kinkunume. What's in the happen Africa? It doesn't matter where you come from. We, we are, are one people. people. Channel Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Lehuko. Grocery franchise ShopRite has officially launched its money transfer cross-border remittances to Lesotho with the help of Finmark Trust and Capitec Bank in South Africa. This will allow people from Lesotho working and residing legally in South Africa to access affordable, convenient, safe and reliable remittance services. Cross-border remittances have been in action since May this year. ShopRite says that the pilot project is for money transfers to Lesotho only. No transfers from ShopRite Lesotho stores were contemplated for the pilot, as this is being addressed as a future project phase, which is presently under application with the Central Bank of Lesotho. Investment in Zimbabwe has been badly hit by President Robert Mugabe's laws limiting foreign ownership of businesses as the country endures further economic decline. This according to Secretary for Economic Planning and Investment Promotion in Zimbabwe, Desiree Sibanda. The 2007 indigenization law compels foreign firms to cede 51% of shares to local partners in a move that Mugabe said would benefit Zimbabwe's majority black population disadvantaged by colonial rule. Sibanda made a rare criticism of the policy, saying a new wave of potential foreign investors has shunned Zimbabwe due to the law. Load shedding is causing havoc in Zambia. Zambia's Agriculture Ministry says it is only the agricultural sector which is affected by load shedding. 
Farmers are also complaining, saying their milk cannot be bought because of load shedding. It is not all doom and gloom for South Africa's manufacturing sector. This is according uh, to, rather, this is the message. Yes, the message from government and the biggest lobby group in the sector at a Natal manufacturing conference in the country's port city of Durban. Changes in Russia, China's production cost increases and oil and gas exploration along the South African coast have been cited as positive signs. Greece Libenberg reports. Manufacturing Circle member Stavros Nikolai says for the sector to grow, an environment needs to be created where South African companies can be competitive. Fair trade practices should also be established. Ghana's finance minister, Sertha Tekpa, has revised the 2015 budget uh, deficit target to 7.3% gross domestic product from 6.5% previously. He's also cut economic growth estimate to 3.5% from 3.7%. Ghana's year consumer inflation estimate has been increased from 13.7% to 11.5%. The US dollar trades 12.39 in South Africa, 9.89 Botswana, 7.57 in Zambia, 6.4 British pound, 9.2 euro, gold 1.093 dollars, platinum 9.65 dollars an ounce, brand crude oil, 5.6 dollars, 5.3 cents a barrel. For Channel Africa's economic update, I'm Tabiso Lohoku. Our sports update up next with Msibudi Makura. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning, sports fans. And starting off with the rugby news, experienced loose forward Scott Berger will become the 55th Springbok captain on Saturday when he leads South Africa out against New Zealand at Emirates Airline Park in Johannesburg. The 32-year-old Berger has been na- named interim captain in the absence of injured Jean de Villiers and Victor Matfield. He assumes a captaincy for Matfield, who was ruled out of action in the short term after suffering a hamstring strain against Australia on Saturday. Berger says it's a huge honor to lead the team at such a big occasion. I don't think the challenge gets uh, any bigger than that. You know, obviously, uh, as a youngster growing up in South Africa, I think everything you can remember revolved the Springboks versus the All Blacks. So, again, a big privilege to play against the All Blacks. You know, it's, um, I've been privileged to do it for quite some time. Um, but obviously, leading your country uh, in against the All Blacks, you know, adds a bit of extra spark. So, obviously, you've got a big responsibility. You know, we... Um, yeah, we've got a, a big challenge coming this weekend. So uh, looking forward to it. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, I'm standing in for, a, for I've got big shoes to fill in Victor and John, who's been exceptional as leaders. So uh, hopefully I can do that this weekend. Meanwhile, head coach Hanukkah Mayer says it has always been in his plans to have Berger as captain. Yeah, it's a huge honor and privilege for me to uh, name Skalk Berger as the Springbok captain. Um, you know, it's, for me, it's almost like a fairy tale come true. Um, you know, a few years back when I started coaching, uh, Skog wasn't available and was uh, injured, couldn't play. And uh, then he went through a bad sickness 
and uh, wasn't available for quite some time. A lot of people say that uh, we probably won't play rugby again, and now we sit here and name him as a Springbok captain. So uh, it's a big honour for me, and it's, uh, you know, I always believe the, the Springbok captain must lead from the front, and I, I don't want to take, didn't take the decision lightly because it's a, it's a huge honour to represent your country, but even more so to be the captain of your country and of my team. All Blacks Aveman Kieran Reed says experience will be vital for the All Blacks when they come face to face with the Springboks in the Castle Lager Rugby Championship Test at the Emirates Airline Park Stadium on Saturday afternoon. Reed believes that experience will be needed to calm the nerves in such a big game and also face up to the hostile capacity crowd at the stadium. Um, yeah, I think experience does um, matter, I guess, in, in really big games. Nine conditions we're going to be facing and the hostility we'll find. Uh, at the ground, it um, means a bit, but I guess uh, you know, you've got to be able to impart that on the whole squad, and, and uh, it's, a, it's a fun place to play as well. So if you haven't been here before, then you'll certainly enjoy it. I guess it's different to anything in New Zealand. Um, playing South Africa is, you know, passionate fans, and Alice Park is their home, and, or whatever it's called now. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's always a, a great game, and uh, playing over here is a, a big test for us. Australian surfer Mick Fannin says he will face his demons and surf again at the scene um, of the shark attack that threatened to take his life. The three-time world champion was attacked by a great white during the final of the J-Bay Open, a world tour event at Jeffrey's Bay in Durban, South Africa, this past weekend. Remarkably, he escaped unscathed from the attack that was seen live on TV across the world. Speaking at a press conference just shortly after his arrival home, Fanning gives a description as to how he managed to to fight the shark away. If you, if you look at the footage closely, um, there's more splashing uh, as the wave goes down, and that's when it came back again for a, a second go at my board. And yeah, I was like, I, I felt so insignificant. Like the thing was so powerful and was, uh, yeah, it just moved so fast. And you know, I was just trying to maneuver my way around it. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm not. I was just trying to just, yeah, I don't know. There was, there wasn't anything that I've thought about in present before, it was just something that I just ran on instinct and um, knew that I just had to try and get away from this thing and, and um, yeah, that once my board was gone, I, you know, I, I, I thought that was it. I was just waiting for it just to come and take a leg or two. And finally, Team South Africa returned home with three medals from the recently concluded IPC World Swimming Championships in Glasgow, Scotland. Not only that, but the swimmers managed to bring five African records, one championship record, as well as 11 Paralympic qualification times for next year's Paralympic Games. Swimming South Africa CEO Sean Adriance says it was a good performance by Team South Africa. Very happy with the performance, considering, you know, that the first, the first objective of this team was to to make Paralympic qualifying times. And so they've done that with 11 Paralympic ones. They've really achieved the objectives. So we're quite happy with the performance. Gold medal uh, from Tehom Paul, very good, right? And two points means medals from Henry Arts. I mean, that's an excellent performance. Of course, you know, it does in comparison the, to what we have before, naturally the two retired. You know, she was like one in a million uh, type of uh, uh, athlete. So that has certainly made a big dent, but these other athletes are working very hard, as you can see from the performances, to make sure that they get the book for us. The Zaya Sports News at the South. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zora. Africa, amka na unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour, vote counting underway in controversial Burundi election, South Sudan mediation team meets in Addis Ababa and Kenyan president dismisses gay rights issue ahead of President Obama's visit. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzo Ramagaza and Jane Matebula, technical producers Fiso Mashiko and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or an SMS on 277-969-57930. You can also get a hold of us on Twitter at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of an hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is Angelique Kijo with a song titled Agolo.